Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and let us affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to once again be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil in sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed, as before, all of the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your holy countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Allow us to find your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
The Book of Philippines, chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How often, oftentimes, to fulfill his needs or our desires, we turn to these places of Scripture, taking as a foundation the idea that God desires for each of our need to be fulfilled based on the riches of his glory. However, we did not look at the weapon through which God has promised to fulfill all of our needs. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, so in Christ Jesus are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. So, practically, God shows through the Apostle Paul that God is able to fulfill our needs only through a certain category of people. So, through our correct relationship toward these people. In that same atmosphere, Psalms 22.4, it's written, But you are holy and throned in the praises of Israel. Psalms 22.3 holy and praises the atmosphere of praise unto god when those people who are the glory of god give praise because the thing is is that the church is the glory of god and his representatives are his glory and when they begin to praise god according to his conditions and based on his requirements, then God receives the foundation to fulfill all of our needs. Praise to God is close us into the glory of God when we search for the countenance of God in our worship, in which we honor God by offering him honor in the format of tithes and offerings. Without tithes and offerings, our praise and our glory are illegitimate. God does not accept them. When people praise, however they may say, whatever they may say, he says, why are your hands empty? I had told you to not come into my house with empty hands. Bring that which I have blessed you with. In other words, God has promised to fulfill all of our need if we are found under his shadow in the face of the person who is clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God. When he blesses us with the name of the Lord, accepting what we bring to him. In Hebrew, the word glory has many different meanings. The first meaning is weight or the weight of the authority of the Most High. Not just some kind of weight, but when a person has some kind of weight, meaning he
If we take all of the created angels and all people, then in relation to God, they are going to be as light as vapor. That's the kind of weight that the Most High has. Furthermore, glory is the inheritance of the belongings of the Most High. It's the inheritance of God. It's His belongings. It's the greatness of the Most High. It's the atmosphere of respect honor and glory. It is praise unto the Most High that does not cease. They, the angels of God, do not cease to say before God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with His glory. This gives them great pleasure, and this praise does not end. And what is it expressed in? That God is holy. He is not tolerant. He does not love everyone, but He loves His holy saints. If he is holy, then he can't love someone who is not holy, who is impure. He who is holy is always pure, but he who is pure or clean is not always holy. Furthermore, this is the place of the dwelling of the Most High. These are the garments of the Most High. It's the shadow of the Most High. It's the holiness of the Most High. It is the fire of the Most High. Because when the glory of God came upon the people of Israel, then they ran away in horror, seeing this glory. But today the churches say, Lord, send us your glory, they say. So perhaps they don't have something in their head that they heard asking him to set his glory. Well, if he does send your glory, then all those who are in the midst will be immediately destroyed. All of those whose lips are impure will be killed immediately. Before saying, Lord, show us your glory, who could say this? Only Moses could say, Lord, show me your glory. The people said, will you go communicate with this glory? Let God talk with you in this glory. Don't tell us anything. We are all dying. We all will need to die. But he said, the Lord did not come in order to kill you. He came in order to hallow you so that you can dwell in this glory. And so this is the holiness of God. It is a consuming fire. It is the potential of the Most High. It is immeasurable. Um, wisdom of God, the power of the Most High, and the immeasurable riches of the Most High. This is what glory means, in which God has promised to fulfill all of our need. So you will say yes, but he calls his children his glory. Yes. Try to come closer, touch these children, try to come near them. Specifically, those children who are His glory. If your lips are impure, then you are not the glory of God. If your heart is not cleansed of dead works, you are not the glory of God. If you are a carnal person, speaking in tongues, doing all kinds of wonders and miracles, you are not, um, you're not the glory of God. Those Carnal people, they have a relationship with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what they use, but they don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit himself. Eleazar came to the land. What did he do there when he came to search out for a wife for Isaac? He gave his gifts, and then he left, having taken Rebekah. But the gifts remained, which he had given. They communicate with these gifts. They think that they are communicating with the Holy Spirit. They even tied to the gifts. Yes, 
All of the gifts remained, but the Holy Spirit had left. Why? Because his goal was Rebecca, the girl, the virgin, who would be able to give him water and give his camels water. Neither Laban nor Bethany Will were capable of doing so. First, they were not virgins. Virginity is purity. It is a kind of state when sin has not yet touched a person. It's holy. And he said, the girl that you will send to my son, which we view as a symbol of Christ, if I come, she at this time is going to be at the well. She's going to be at the well of the living water. I will ask her to drink. And she is going to give me something to drink, me and my camels. And God sends this, this girl, she comes out, he comes to her and he says, allow me to drink. She hastily gives the water and says, Drink, I will also give to your camels. And he looked at her in astonishment how she had drawn the water for the ten tired camels who had went the long way, but each of them needed at least two big um, vessels of water. Um, a woman used to do this, they used to tr draw water, men did not do this, they did not go to the well. This was done by the woman, they had carried the water, and today in some countries of the world, uh, the woman carried the water. If you look at India, people go four hours to go get water, four hours to get fresh water, and you have to stand in line several hours to get it so that you can be poured a water. And she puts this uh, vessel on her head, and she walks, talks, and she carries this on her head four hours, one way, four hours back. This is the kind of thirst that is there today. That's There's not enough fresh water there. And when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and gave the church gifts, the church was not taught that baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift. It is a deposit, but not the Holy Spirit himself. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit who brought these gifts. In this moment, they had grown close to him, but he was unfamiliar to them. Gifts for them or something else. Therefore, Apostle Paul says, the carnal, those who don't have the spirit, those who resist the truth, they don't understand it. This is how the church remained for many years. Now, all of a sudden, she needs glory. Especially the false charismatics, they cry and scream, and they think that the glory of God is when they grow demonic. You know, when the glory of God dwells, a person can't move. He can't even move. All that he can do upon the glory of God is he can fall and tremble before God. This is the glory. This is holiness. He can't at this time express his emotions. The emotions completely die off from the trembling and the reverence that a person feels. Therefore, to give glory to the name of to give glory to the name of the Lord with empty hands means to to speak idle words for which the anger of God will come upon people. 
Malachi 2.2, 2, if you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Malachi chapter 2, verse 2. So pay attention here. God says, I curse your blessings because you do not want to give glory to my name. You bring your tithes not in order to give glory to, to hallow me, but in order to receive something from me. And the emissaries of Mammon, that's what they teach. Bring to God so that he can also give you. But this is God's prerogative, not ours. It's his prerogative. We must not pray about this nor ask for it. We must search for the Lord. This is our prerogative in the honoring God of tithes and offerings. And his prerogatives is not to search for what to eat or what to drink. You're, this is my prerogative. Your Heavenly Father knows your need. Be grateful in what he has given you. Be grateful in what the Heavenly Father has given you. But people think that, why do people live better than me? Um, why does he live better than me? But sometimes the children of kings live worse than the neighboring person. Why? Because he's not a king and he doesn't know how to discipline children. A king never gives his children that which they want. He gives them only that which is necessary in order to become a king. And that's why out of the 11, 12 children that were born to a family, only one would live because this was um, a lot of weight that a child had to carry. I was in... Um, at certain palaces in Paris and London and listen to the history and about how the young children had died often back then because there was such a weight on them. The women were supposed to sew for themselves, uh, clean up after themselves. They were taught all of science, the boys as well. They had servants, but the servants were there in order to, to uh, watch after them to make sure that they were obedient. That's how the king had disciplined his children. Can you imagine God, how God as a king disciplines his children? He says, you are going to eat this right now, and this will be enough for you. You see, our flesh desires more. Why don't we want to rejoice in what is little? How great is it to be content and glad? But we say, Lord, why poverty? Why am I faced with poverty? In the beginning, people came to me and said, Pastor, please pray for me and cast out the spirit of poverty. But if God has given you this much, then thank God for what he has. Then he will give you more. For this, it's not this what's supposed to be important to you. For you, the most important thing is communication with God. And so many saints today live in poverty because they are disobedient to the biblical laws and principles of economy and the creation of riches. Poverty is not just a social status. Poverty is a curse, and there are no chances to run away from a curse if we allow this curse into our house through our gates the gates of our lips. Remember, all of that which you say negative, any kind of negative negativity, this you are allowing a curse into your house, and then you say, Lord, bless me. He says, Son, you are not in the zone of blessing right now. You are in the zone of curse. You are not under my shadow. The disobedience and the sin of Adam had brought curse to all of mankind on earth because in a certain level of his life, he had refused to give glory to God. 
For Adam, giving glory to God, was expressed in that which was in his authority but belonged to God to not draw near and um, to give, not to give to God. Because all that is holy and that is hallowed belongs to God. And this was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God had planted right at the center of the garden along with the tree of life. And we grow unfortunate because that our father Adam and Eve had stretched out their hand to not the tree of life, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were able to eat of any tree because in order to begin to eat of the trees of the Garden of Eden, they needed to first eat of the tree of life. And only then they were able to eat the other trees in the garden. But God then um, wanted to invite them to the tree of knowledge of good and evil when they would become spiritual. But having been carnal people, they um, they wanted to they were moved towards that which is carnal. People want to have some kind of garments, some kind of clothes, some kind of cars. Take a look at what these people, how these people live. One person said, are we really living if we don't have those kind of things? One pastor who was here, he came and said, you know how they live there in America? Well, he just doesn't know that not everyone lives this way, that here there are also people that are, that are poor. And we have many of these people, but they don't consider themselves poor. They are rejoiced that, that they have communication with God and they honor God in tithes and offerings. These people that came as guests, they were brought to the most successful people. They were given the best, even that which they themselves don't eat. And they decided that this is how everyone lives here. No, in order to live well here, one has to work, as Apostle Paul says. And so give a tenth of your time and offering, giving a tenth of time and offering to God is giving glory to God, which releases in our life the whole specter of blessings that is poured out in all of Scripture. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. You see, to give glory to God without a gift you can't do so because God will not allow you into his presence. Yes, you will do this in the church, but in a literal sense, you are not going to be allowed into his presence. You won't be able to worship God because you do not understand these things because you search for what is earthly. We are going to honor God in tithes and offerings and we are going to search for his countenance and for his glory and we are going to allow him to bless us with material goods just as he sees fit. We will thank him for that, for that which we have because the time Time is ending in the literal sense of the world. Time is ending, and soon we won't care about material goods. Sometimes people are, go scared and they think that soon money won't have their place. Yes, this is so. Soon currency will stop having significance, and they say we, we need to gather silver and gold and, and stock, and many have began to do this. You are walking a false way. Fear the Lord, the Church of Jesus Christ will never 
have a need. On the contrary, she is going to grasp the initiative over the riches of this world, just as Israel had taken all the riches of Egypt before getting out of Egypt. Before taking his church out of here, God is going to give her such wisdom and place kings in such a position where um, that they will fill the church because that wisdom that the churches have, no one else will have. That glory that they have will literally scare them. And the religious dead institutes will be horrified. And many will come to the feet of these people and will say, We see that the Lord is with you. The Lord says, I will do this, and I am vigilant over my word. Please stand. Let's sing together. And we will honor God in tithes and offerings and acknowledge his authority over us and express our love to him. And let me remind you that each time the people of Israel had honored God in tithe, with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses, to lift their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to and that Moses had received as a revelation from God. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, try drinking from the fruit of the same tree with the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home that your home may have food. I did not give in purely. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to keep the depth of the wisdom of God, the purpose and calling of God's holy remainder. Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. Just as the Heavenly Father sends His Son upon the righteous and unrighteous and pours out His rains upon the just and unjust, we, in the same way with our Son, need to shine upon the righteous and unrighteous and send our rain upon the just and unjust. <clears throat> and linked to the path that leads us to perfection, to the symbol of perfection that is in the Heavenly Father, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca, to Isaac, and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebecca presented these signs in the virtues of the lily of the valleys upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith so we may form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. And for this purpose she left Rebecca left her nation, her house, and her former life so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into perfection in Christ Jesus. We note that in our situation celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is receiving the Holy Spirit in our heart, receiving Him not as a greatly honored guest, but as the Lord of our life, which will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit and upon the conditions that are written in Scripture so we can be led by the Holy Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Romans 8.14 A person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in result, this person will lose his sonhood, that is, his salvation. And we more than once have noted that you can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift and at the same time remain a person of the flesh, not having the Spirit, and be resistant of all that comes from the Spirit of God. Therefore, speaking in tongues and practicing spiritual gifts is a spiritual experience, but it is not called to make us spiritual and to change our character into the character of Christ, that character we inherited from the sinful conduct and life of our fathers. For example, Balaam's donkey experienced something spiritual by receiving the capability to speak in human in the human language, but this experience did not make the donkey spiritual and did not change her donkey's essence. She remains, she remained to be the don a donkey. Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar and a warrior, received a revelation from God, experienced a spiritual thing, but this experience did not change their character into the character of Christ. They remained to be enemies of God and they were destroyed later. Therefore, to change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ, called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires.
And of course, with our agreement and our collaboration with the truth. With all of this, we know that specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him strength to perform a complete and total, se total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires. To then, in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or we can receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest and continue to remain in the dependence of our nation, our house, and our corrupt desires. Studying the revelation of the Holy Spirit received by the most beautiful of women by the latch of the door in the symbol of the dew and the drops, we note that the latch of the door through which the beloved was able to stretch, to stretch his hand to her is the wise and willing decision to present yourself to God a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for his good service. The latch of the door that the door of our heart has speaks of the presence of the thummim in your heart, which allows you to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for his good service. At the same time, the symbol of the hand of the beloved that stretched through the latch of that door of your heart or the human heart is the revelation of the Holy Spirit that is revealed as the Urim. That means that if a person does not have the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh written upon the tablets, on his tablets, he will not have this latch of the door when the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit would be able to enter and reveal what you have, the mysteries that you have within your heart, word that you don't yet understand, and to have such a relationship with God where God would be able to hear man and man in turn would be able to hear God, it, was ne it is necessary for us when carrying our cross to collaborate with the cross of Christ because the truth about the blood of Christ purifies us from sin and in this way dresses us into the justification of Christ. At the same time, the truth about the cross of Christ separates us from the producer or factory of sin. This is our older sinful man. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence of the cross of Christ and the essence of our cross, and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And stop to study the next question, what, by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? And such signs are to be fruits of righteousness or the fruits of resurrection in the fruits of the tree of life that bears fruits 12 times giving its fruit each month. And this happens within the soil of our heart. We note that the image of the cross of Christ is presented in the 12 stones that were placed at the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over death. When the Jordan stopped before the Ark of the Covenant, as well as the 12 stones that were taken from the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over sin in the flesh. 
when Jesus resurrected, he overcame sin in the flesh. And when we resurrected with him, because we died with him in his death and resurrected with him, then sin in the flesh was destroyed. The image of our cross, carrying our cross, we die for our nation, for our house, and for our corrupt desires, presented in the twelve stones from which the altar of the Lord was constructed. The twelve stones of the altar revealed the good goals and good motives of the heart and testify of our readiness and strive to know the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The living sacrifice upon the altar, presented in the format of a continual prayer, flows in sp flowing in spirit and in truth, is the means that is used for reaching these good goals that are in the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first living sacrifice that presented himself upon this altar, the altar in this case being the cross, is Christ himself that has opened to us with his living sacrifice the path to the inheritance contained in his precious blood or the new path or new way to the Lord. In the New Jerusalem, as well as the New Jerusalem, which is the bride of the Lamb, as well as in the Eden of our heart, if we are a part of the New Jerusalem, because Eden is the place where God communicates with God and God communicates with this where God communicates with man and God communicates in the heart of a person. And so we, as being in, in the New Jerusalem, as well as in the Eden of our heart, the Lord, this is the place of our communication with God, the image of the living sacrifice upon the altar of twelve stones, testifies and speaks of the twelve pearly gates, which reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. We know that the pearl is the product of a suffering of suffering. And so when the suffering process happens, the pearl is developed. As whatever falls in, the little stone or whatever falls in there is then wrapped into this pearl, uh, these pearl coats, and the more it suffers and the longer it suffers, the bigger the pearl is created. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is Luke 22, 28 through 30. The kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. We in a particular format have studied the names of the twelve patriarchs written upon the pearly gates. These names identify the requirements based upon which it is necessary for us to collaborate with the carrying our cross and the cross of Christ. The requirements regarding the pearly gates as are the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. The twelve months of the holy year where the tree of, where the tree of life yielded its fruit each month are the fruits of resurrection identified in the feasts and signs that happened within each month of the holy year. And so we have been studying the fruits of the Spirit symbolized 
rise in the fruit of the tree of life in the new fourth month of the holy year. This, this month is Tammuz. In Israel, in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. In this month, those who live on elevations approach the harvest of wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the start of the summer heat. Upon practice, each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately, was the harvest of some kind of sowing. We came to the conclusion that the broken tablets of the covenant symbolizes the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. This handwriting that is contained in the broken tablets of the covenant that was against us, the Son of God, in the image of Moses, took from our broken relationship with God and nailed it to the cross, therefore disarming principalities and powers, making them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in it. Colossians 2.11-15 In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so you took off of yourself this robe of the corrupt man, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. I sleep, but my heart is awake. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarming principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. If a man will not bear fruits of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken broken tablets of the covenant so that we can have evidence of the fact that we in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses died for the law of Moses so we can live for God and live by God then this person will forever lose not having this kind of evidence a person will lose his salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. Galatians 2.19.20 For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the result that came from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law gives power to sin, and the other law taking power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence and nature of God, as well as His holy, good, and unchanging goals. Therefore, before we die by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin, so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth, that is, as it is written, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. James 1.18, and only born from the seed of the word of truth, can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law, to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth, from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a confirmation of the previously received justification, as there exists a great difference between the seed of justification by the means by which we are born from God and the fruits of this seed, where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and receives confirmation of righteousness. And so there's a big difference between the seed 
of the tree of life and the tree of life itself. When we receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven, we receive the seed of the tree of life. And then we grow it. And when it begins to bear fruits, then our righteousness is established. To bear by, by the tree of life the fruits of the fourth new month, presenting within the heart of a man the kingdom of heaven that has come into power, identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant, establishing our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness, it is necessary for us to, to look at four classical questions, and these are, what is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come? And what is justification? Also, what characteristics do the scriptures give the word righteousness, justification, and righteous. Also, what purpose is justification supposed to fulfill, or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself? What conditions are, require, are required? Are we uh, conditions and requirements are supposed to be fulfilled to receive justification and be dressed into righteousness? And by what results are we to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears fruit of the? of the fourth month, which is the spirit, or, or which is the fruit of righteousness. Considering the righteousness of God that we have come in contact with in the symbol of the broken tablets of covenant, we see that the righteousness of God is multifaceted of many meanings and has multiple functions. For this purpose, we need to continue to study the first question to understand what is the natural essence or root of righteousness, from what wellspring does righteousness come and what is justification. Also, what characteristics do the scriptures give the words righteousness, justification and righteousness and righteous? We note that the etymo etymology of words righteousness, justification and righteous contain a sufficiently rich and multiple meaning semantics, as these words are, are, are a revelation of who God is and what God has done for us, as well as what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us. In Hebrew and in Greek, we see the definitions of righteousness. It is holiness, the law, covenant, justification, righteousness, lawfulness, fairness, commandment, statute, regulation, judgment, justice and fairness, directness, faithfulness and truthfulness, constance, continuation and immutability, truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, purity, the resurrection of life, the liberty of Christ. Justification is eternal redemption, purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin, taking into, per, into the personal belonging and lot of God, adoption, resurrection from the dead. The word righteous is holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath, not binded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God, pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ, Righteousness is hope and trust in God, faith that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. P. 
peace with God based upon the covenant with God. Righteousness is sanctification of your, de of your dedication. It is observation of the justice of God, expressing holiness and performing justice, expressing upright joy, remaining in your church, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring to God, honoring God with tithes and offerings, and revealing virtue in your faith. Looking at this truth be told in multifaceted, multi-meaning, and multifunctional statement, we note that the scriptures consider these terms legitimate and lawful in regards to man only and exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification. The service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace that is contrary to the service of condemnation, which we see in the law of Moses. If in the service of condemnation the format of the law of Moses was given to the sinful and lawless man, then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, new tablets of the covenant were carved now not by God but by man and is give, was given to people with a righteous heart that received their justification by those very two broken tablets by the fact of their birth. As it is written, who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry <coughs> of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of the righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even that <coughs> what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Second Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. Based upon this place of scripture, the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace that arose from the two broken tablets became the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The righteous man, in accordance to scripture, is a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace and not sinning against the law of grace. Considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two grows from the root so that such relative terms as holiness, truth, and righteousness not be looked at as the same thing, although they are similar. Each one of them has specific definitions and purposes that are in accordance to their essence. For example, based upon the definitions in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of, of two terms, holiness and truth. <coughs> the truth is always holy. At the same time, the unity of holiness and truth reveal itself <coughs> in righteousness just as the Father reveals himself in his Son or as the seed reveals itself in the fruit. From this we can conclude that holy truth is the foundation and root that the righteousness of God is to be built upon and from which the righteousness of God grows in the heart of a man. Therefore, holy truth is the, deter the determination of the state of the human heart when a person is born from the seed of the word of truth. At the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in holy truth. <coughs> in this way, holy righteousness is holy truth in action or the result of what holy truth produces. 
Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is the root of holy truth or the holy word of truth that is written in Scripture. So for us not to be of empty words, we need to confirm with the Holy Scriptures the genesis of righteousness from the root that is identified as holy truth, as well as the natural characteristics of righteousness itself, called to identify the state and behavior of the righteous man. Justification itself, as well as its confirmation of that confirmation of, its, of this justification that we are called to receive in the two broken tablets, demonstrating the death of the Lord Jesus, will dress and lead us into the inheritance of the righteousness of God, considering that the righteousness of God is, first of all, the judgment of God or justice of God, the determination of good and evil, and the separation of good from evil. We, in a particular format, have already partially looked at specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. We see the stunning multi-meaning and multifunctional aspect of the righteousness of God contained in the two broken tablets that captured the entire specter of the relationship of God with man. I won't be going through what we already studied again, but will immediately turn to the next studies of the essence of the holy of holy righteousness that has been elevated by God into two tablets of, co of the covenant. The judge judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the Word of God. The nature of God's judgment is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgments of all righteousness. Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God, it is the first, we need to understand that it is first most the truth of God and we need to always understand it as God's holy truth. God, by, based on his eternal, unchanging, and immeasurable natural essence, is firstly everlastingly holy. That for every characteristic, including the righteousness of God, that comes from his unchanging and natural essence of his truth, is eternal and always holy. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly always holy righteousness, eternal, unchanging, and unconditional. The word holy first belongs to God and only after to those who are born from Him. They're born immediately righteous and holy when they're born from Him. And you can receive this justification only by birth. You can't, by doing good work, uh, receive this righteousness. You can't become a king. You need to be born a king. And so the essence of this characteristic is that God is holy by His eternal nature. He is eternally separated from evil and is not part of any found evil. His love is firstly always a holy love, and further is a selective love. God is not able to love that which in its beginnings is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginnings and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis or its beginnings. Any tree that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. 
You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. We note that righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs that out of a programmable system that are either a person or an angel are unable to reveal themselves or function. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels. And he condemned them. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position or domain and man also who did not accept the love of truth and defiled the temple of their spirit are vessels of his sun-scorching and powerful wrath. And God put them into this kind of position or place that they will not see or hear and will not understand with their heart that they are in that position of destruction because if they will, they will begin to repent and God will forgive them. But God has already condemned them that they will not be able to be renewed with repentance because they knew what was the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the coming age, they knew his holiness and then crucified him anyway. And the, that crucifixion happens when they confronted his delegated leaders or people and also mocked his righteousness, his teaching, casting it aside and receiving their own personal righteousness, calling it a new gospel or a different gospel. The carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and the lawless, are vessels of his mercy. As it is written, what if God, wanting to show his wrath, this is in Romans 9, 22 through 24, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. The righteousness of God received and abiding in the heart of a man by the means of the grace of God we see in the broken tablets gives man the lawful right to look at the face of the Lord in the night and at the time when and at the time of his awaking he will be satisfied seeing the Lord's faith. face. Psalm 17:15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness in bearing fruits of righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Looking at this place of scripture, we can see that only when we have the fruits of righteousness of the righteousness of God within our heart can we look at the face of our Heavenly Father and remain alive. Look at what it says in Exodus 33, 17-20. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. Then the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And so where it says the name of the Lord before you, it's actually the name of Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, 
And Moses was not able to see the face of the Lord, but David did, but Moses didn't. He couldn't see it upon the level he was in, in the law. Within the law that he presented, he was not able to see God's face. But David presented a different law. Here is a place by here is a place by me, the Lord said, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And of course, we need to ask the question, we need, how was David able to even in the night look upon the face of the Lord and waking up be satisfied with the face of God? Based on scripture, the face of God cannot be and has never been seen by anyone except for the only born son that is present in the entrails of his heavenly father, the face of whom he, the face of whom he then revealed in himself and by himself. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of, of the father, he has declared him Jah. John 1.18 From the words of Christ we can see that if a man will allow the Holy Spirit to place him into the entrails of Christ, then this man will be able to see the face of his Heavenly Father. To place yourself into Jesus Christ is only possible by the power that is contained in the tablets of the covenant that presented the image of Christ in his redeeming death for his people that he had loved everlastingly and who loved him. Therefore, the righteousness of God that is built and abiding in the heart of a man is the consistency of, in the consistency of the broken tablets of the covenant gives man the ability in the night to see the face of, his, of their heavenly father and waking up be satisfied by him. To understand about what night and about what day David was referring to, we'll turn to the next words of David. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge, Psalm 19.2. Studying these two places, or these two, uh, two things, the night and day, we note that in this situation, the regular night and regular day and the symbol or symbolic night and symbolic day. And so the symbolic day and symbolic night exist or are present in man. Considering that the righteousness of God abides within the heart of a person continually, we can conclude that the, uh, the symbolic night that David spoke of was his born from God's spirit or his new heart that presented his new person, born from this uh, word of truth. No one spoke of justification as David did. In the law of Moses, it, is a, it was impossible that the sin would be blotted out. God forgave but punished. But here, God doesn't just forgive, but also does not see that you had ever done it. And the symbolic day where David was satisfied was his renewed mind. Our renewed mind is this symbolic day, and our spirit is a symbolic night where the Lord abides. You, you desire to abide in mystery or in the darkness, the unapproachable light that a person cannot see, but God has placed this into the heart of a man, and the spirit of a man can look directly into the face of God there, because he is in his likeness, he is born from him, 
Why was man not able to look at the face of God? Because he was not born, he did not have the spirit. You need to be in his likeness to look at him. I remember from uh, history one emperor called one of the people, it was at the time when uh, Christians were persecuted and killed in the arenas by lions. And he called one person, the emperor looked into his eyes and asked him, show me God. He said, you will see him if you become worthy of him. To see the face of God, you need to be worthy of God. And to be worthy of God are only those that are his children. And so we carry within our mortal bodies this wealth, the ability to see the face of God. And so the Holy Spirit revealed in the night, in the heart of David, knowledge about God in the regular night. When a person falls asleep, the spirit of man is the most active because the activity of a person in the daytime interrupts the spirit's work. But as soon as the body is not uh, doing anything, then this, uh, the spirit, and in this night, another night is awakened. Our spirit, it begins to sat be satisfied and communicate with God and see his face and receive the revelations. And when we are wake up, and our renewed mind, our renew, renewed mind from the spirit, it comes into our renewed mind. Our renewed mind, I will tell us again, uh, our renewed mind is, is the new ability of the intellect where the intellect becomes a servant and becomes the servant of the, the person's heart. The intellect of a person is usually the master that rules all. He rules over the heart, over everything. And he himself makes decisions, all the decisions. But the renewed mind is when that very mind is already a servant. New, it has new qualities. And it, he no longer relies upon his abilities, but is always listening to the heart and what comes from the heart. He is obedient to what comes from the heart, although the mind doesn't fully understand it, but he no longer relies upon himself, he no longer trusts upon himself, he completely relies and trusts upon the revelations that come from the heart, what his heart says. That is that renewed mind. This is the intellect that is now a servant, the servant of the heart, where the Holy Spirit is. In this way, the righteousness of God in the, in the quality of the thummim that abides within the heart of a person gave the person the right in the night to look at the face of God in the Urim and waking up be satisfied with his face in the revelations of the Urim. The next righteousness of God abiding within the heart of a person and revealed in these two broken tablets, when the enemies will persecute him, God, the righteousness of God gives him boldness to judge him or to ask God to judge him in accordance to what's in his heart. Psalm 35, 1 through 28. Plead my case, O Lord, 
with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of, sh- hold of shield and buckle and stand up for my help. Also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue, pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those who put, be put to shame who dishonor, who seek after my life. Let those who turn back and be brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. It's interesting when David uh, asks God to judge him in accordance to his righteousness, he means the undamaged righteousness that is in his heart that gives him boldness to give God the right to fulfill his intentions for him. We know that boldness is the lawful right based on justification that a person has received freely by the grace of God and redemption in Jesus Christ in the broken tablets of the covenant to enter into the presence of God. And such boldness is called to function exclusively within the boundaries of the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, boldness that is shown in the righteousness of God in the heart of David gives David the right to express the will of God in regards to his enemy, and God's role is to help in his confrontation with his enemies and help him. We together today it is not me who prepare, who plans to preach the, such similar things on Friday and Sunday, but the Holy Spirit has led us. We talked about boldness uh, on Friday, and we will still continue to talk about it. But today we're talking about what boldness does. That boldness without righteousness is not boldness, and righteousness not having boldness cannot be the righteousness of God. In this way, the righteousness of God abiding in the heart of a person upon the two broken tablets gave this person the guarantee that all his enemies will be ashamed when a person confesses the glorious inheritance of God contained in the righteousness of God that is within his heart. When he has this kind of boldness, the right to confess what is within his heart, God will take his confessions and destroy his enemies with those confessions. As we talked about, it is not God or the angels they don't destroy our enemies. God has given these tools to us, and these tools are within our mouth. And God waits uh, until the time we confess. We have placed Jesus into ourselves. This is the faith of God. And when we begin to confess, God then allows his angels to act, to become active and they do their work. The prayer of the righteous person that comes by the will of God and is obedient to the faith of God, it truly does great miracles. But when we're silent, nothing happens. When we are waiting, God knows, God, is, God sees everything. But God wants that your tongue become his sword. God wanted that the rod of Moses become the rod of God. He said, now it's no longer your rod, this is my rod. Now when you died for your nation, for your house, and for your destructive desires, now your rod is my rod. Till this time it was yours, now it is mine. 
But in order for this to happen, for you to be a rod of God, you need to cast yourself to deny yourself from your, deny your soul. As God said to Moses, cast the, cast the rod if you want to know my power and my potential, my potential that is, it is within your rod. But in order to, to reveal this potential, you need to cast that rod. Moses cast it and ran away in fear. God revealed to him what the rod was that he trusted in. Our rod is our intellect, our will, our experience, our connections, our deeds, our evangelism, our practicing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We rely upon all of those other things and not God. But God said, cast all those things and you will see what you trusted in. And he saw a poisonous snake, serpent, and he became afraid because when he cast it, it began to go after him. And he wouldn't have run from it if it didn't go after him. I more than once have had uh, seen these uh, poisonous snakes. When it begins to uh, come to you, you begin to run from it. When it's turning away from you, you're not really running from it. But when he saw this uh, serpent, Moses be became started to run. He wanted to save himself. But God said, take it by the tail. And of course, Moses did this. He took him by the tail taking the direction back, control, taking the control back. Don't look at what you're feeling. Don't look at what you are feeling. Look at what you know and begin to confess what you know. Take it by the tail. Any control, any any reptile, any uh, crocodile, snakes, is all their controls in their tail. If you have a tail, you have the the control. You have the wheel. He can't control himself. Uh, he can't control himself. Any reptile, if you hold his tail, when you begin to speak, what not your not what your feelings are saying, but what God said to you, you are not what you feel. You are what I tell you. You are. You are not. You are a king and a priest to me. You don't. You have the potential of my strength. By you, I will destroy kingdoms. I will heal sickness. Doors will open before you. Don't be afraid. This flesh, everything is shaking around you. and But that is when you need to begin to speak, speak and speak. And God takes your words. And the words that you begin to speak, they become in God's hands and the hands of the angels as weapons or tools. And you you begin to realize then that these words begin to change you also. And you become who you weren't yesterday or the day before. The righteousness of God abiding within the heart of a man by the means of the grace of God revealed in the two broken tablets gives God the ability to uphold the righteous in the little that he has. Psalm 37, 16, 17. A little that a gracious man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Is better, better, the original says, is it, it is overcomes, it is, it is so much better, this little, in the original, it is so much better than the riches of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. 
Psalm 37:16-17. We're talking about what the righteousness of God does within the heart of a man. With the little that the righteous have, God stands with him, and God stands God, the God who has all the wealth that never that never perishes, that never diminishes, and is always is. And there also is Satan. The wealth itself, if you know the wealth of the wicked or the wealth of the world of the wicked, uh, Satan stands with them and supports them in their successes. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in evil times and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Psalm 37, 18, 19. Again, the Lord stands with the ones who have the little that you have, being righteous. God stands with you with all that he has. But the wealth of the wicked, the demonic power stand behind those with the, who have the wealth of the wicked. And so in this way, a person showing their obe his obedience to the righteousness of God, the righteousness that is contained within his heart, and one who confesses the faith of his heart, in doing this, confessing your faith, you then give God the ability to stand with you in the little that you have, and you trust God in doing this, and he makes this little that you have uh, unending. First Kings 178 through 16. Then the then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, this woman is, was familiar with the God of El Hai, the living God. She vows by his name. She says, I do not have, a, have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Do prepare what you have. Make the fire. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward make some for yourself and your son. Don't prepare for yourself first. Separate from what you have, prepare for me, bring to me, and then go prepare for you and your son, which you have separated. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the words of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the words of the Lord which he spoke by Elisha. And now let us look 
at the next aspect in defining the righteousness of God that we see in these two broken tablets. By what characteristics can we determine a righteous person or by what measuring tool can we measure the righteousness of God in a person. We need to determine a righteous man by evidence of his birth from the word of truth and by the works of righteousness, confirming his birth by faith in Jesus Christ, in God, by God, and from God. 1 John 2, 29. If you, have, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If we trust that we are born from God and are children of God, but at the same time do not perform the righteousness of God or are not able to differentiate the works of righteousness from the works of unrighteousness, then our adoption are in great in question. Many people do not know what righteousness is and what unrighteousness is. They think that if they spoke the truth that this is righteousness, righteousness is what comes from God. But all of our righteousness or truth, here the cups, uh, there's a cup of water. Is this truth? Yes, it's truth, but it's righteousness. It's not righteousness. Righteousness comes from God. He is the spring of it. He can, God says, you don't have a cup in your hand, although you may feel it. And I have to believe that, or the opposite. I have an empty nothing in my hand but he says you have a cup of water in your hand take and drink the spring when God speaks then this word happens the truth there is a regular human so-called truth but we're talking here about but we're here talking about the righteousness of God right now that comes from him and this is the word of God that comes from the mouth of God that speaks what he speaks is what it is. Often people don't know what righteousness is or unrighteousness when it comes to God. To do or perform righteousness means to stand on guard of the interests that identify the holiness of God, identifying the law, given law of God that works within the heart of a man and the two tablets. Performing righteousness is knowing the boundaries of the holiness of God and presenting these interests within your heart. For this goal, we need to know first that the holiness of God and the works of righteousness show not just in you being separate from all forms of lawlessness, but also condemning all these forms of lawlessness. Psalm 45, 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Considering that lawlessness is a genetical program of the fallen angel, to hate lawlessness is possible in the unclean and with the unclean. That is a program, and they are that programmable system that have this uncleanness or lawlessness and the nature is from the fallen cherubim 
David says in Psalm 26, 4 through 7, I have not sat with idolatrous mor mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Check who your eating together at the table with, who you go and rest, uh, go to vacations with, who you communicate with, who you're friends with. Test these things, who these people are. Are they sinners? Are they righteous? Or are they sinners? Can you testify of these people that they are righteous? Why have you become so tolerant and soft? Because you like being in, and friends with them. But here's what David says, I will not sit with these people and I will wash myself from them. Secondly, the holiness of God and the works of righteousness contained in the broken tablets of the covenant is always shown, it, show, it always shows itself in brotherly love. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God and the children of the evil of, of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And so we see here that a person needs to understand the boundaries of holiness and how much he honors the, these boundaries of holiness. By what commandments is he defending himself to not be defiled? Because if the conscience does not condemn you when you are speaking with lawless people, sinners who are disqualified from a church or left, but if this does not condemn you, then your sonhood is under question, your salvation is under question, and your service to God is under question. Either you need to come to God so that he cleanse your conscience and that your conscience to be turned back on so that you know that communicating with these people is not possible. It's not possible because you need to choose either God or the devil, lawlessness or holiness. A righteous person needs to be determined by the presence in his, in his heart of the law of grace that has been elevated in his heart by the righteousness and life of Jesus Christ. So that as sin reigns in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5.21. Based on this and other places of Scripture, we can see that the grace of God is reigns within the heart of a person, not in the moment when a person receives justification in the broken tablets, but in the moment when this person, by the means of the justification he already has, allows the grace of God to reign within his heart to perform, right, perform the righteousness of God. Grace does not reign when we're born again just yet. We're born again, we're born righteous. But the grace of God has not yet reigned within our heart. They tell us, oh, glory to God, we buy grace, everything in grace, not understanding that in order for grace to reign, you need to leave your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. That, that the grace of God can reign in that place. 
the grace of God will not be with lawlessness. It will not uh, work with your dependences. While you're depending from your house, your nation, your nationality, your language, your culture, the righteousness of God cannot reign in grace in this place because grace does not have a nationality. It does not have nationality. It does not have gender. It does not have a, a nation. It is godly. In the moment when a person, by the means of the justification he has, allows the grace of God to reign within his heart to perform righteousness, Revelation 22, 11 and 12, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, the unjust, he will do everything, even give all his possessions or his body as a, a, to be burnt or obtains the whole world through by evangelizing. But because he's unjust, unrighteous, everything he does will be seen as unrighteous because he, being unrighteous, did he's doing this so-called righteous work so that he can become righteous. But you need to receive great, uh, righteousness freely. You need to receive God's gift in the broken tablets. This person himself does something to earn it. People sin and to uh, cover up their sins. They try to do something to feel as if they're righteous. And so the unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. You can give as much of your possessions away to the poor as you want, but it will be unrighteousness because you're unrighteous. However, an unclean person may perform the service of encounters, but because he's unclean, he, this will be uh, an abomination and not sanctification. To be sanctifying yourself, you need to be holy. To perform righteousness, you need to be holy. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. I will give everyone according to his work. People who perform these encounters will receive their punishment, and those who sanctify themselves truly and sincerely, they know what their goal is and what the purpose of it is, will also be rewarded. From this we can see that if a person received the justification of God by grace, will not allow this grace to reign within his heart by the means of the justification that he has, then all of the deeds of a man, however good they may look in his eyes, will be qualified or seen as uh, impurity or sin. The kingdom of the, the reigning of grace within the heart of a person is determined by knowing the righteousness of God that identi is identified within the heart of a person Isaiah 51, 7, 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the 
It's talking about those people who call themselves holy and Jews, but begin to persecute you and say that your understanding of holiness and their understanding of holiness are not the same. They have a tolerant behavior. Oh, what's wrong so bad here? He loves the Lord. She loves the Lord, they say. You think that all will perish and you'll be the only one who's saved? No, we're not saying just us. We're saying those who will fulfill the commandments of God in accordance to Scripture. If a person says, I don't understand this way, I'm not talking about how I understand. I'm, I'm speaking of how God understands. They have an unrenewed mind that does not see this way and understand this way. But you have a renewed mind and you receive what God says. You don't say, I don't understand this. You say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults for the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation the righteousness of God that abides within man within the two broken tablets is called to be identified in a person by the fact of grace that is reigning in his heart through righteousness and the life eternal life in Jesus Christ Further, righteousness, the righteousness of the righteous is identified by the thoughts of his heart. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs 12.5 The thoughts of the righteous are their intentions, their goals, their motive, motives, and all goals and thoughts within the heart of the righteous will identify, be identified as the righteousness of God that are in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. How do you determine in the heart of a person if there's righteousness? Psalm 119, 48 through 52. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments. Not what the religious, pe religious people say or other people say. <clears throat> the brothers have commanded that all be bear children. A neighbor church of ours, I won't name them. There was a brotherly council and these brothers decided that all bear children. And that means that they bear not use any kind of uh, protections or any other uh, anything else uh, to prevent uh, children from being born. But in the beginning, if you remember, God blessed man and said, uh, uh, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed. It was a blessing. It was in a command. And so when you have a need and a hunger to bear children, something you desire, he wanted and he bore us by the word of truth. He as we were taught whatever will be will be but I said listen you only have one room if there's going to be a second or third or fourth child you won't you won't be able to work or he won't work and they say well God will provide God will figure figure it out but I'm sorry God said that you're the ones who need to be looking not him you're the one who needs to be responsible not when I bear my children then I mean I have a kingdom I prepared for them my kingdom and all is there and when they come into my kingdom everything will be but where are you sending your children where are you bearing them to 
It's supposed to be a blessing and not a, an obligation. You need to have children. Uh, if you are already full, why are you having more children? If you don't have any necessity, if you want children, that's a different thing. But if you don't want them, if you're full, you need to have a hunger of a father and a, the hunger of a mother and a father. Uh, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, if you will not bear in children, then you will die. It doesn't say that anymore. But the brothers make a decision, and all need to have bear all children not in the church, not knowing the scriptures, receive these laws, and they don't have a gospel, <coughs> and they don't bring evidence of that being from God. They just uh, create some kind of new gospel and uh, <coughs> teach people uh, the false laws. One Episcopal told me in the presence of his wife, I asked his wife, how are you? Are you sa saved, saving yourself? She says, yes, I'm bearing children. And I asked, what about your husband? Well, she's sa he's saving himself with sweat. But you think that the husband, that his sweat uh, has now replaced Jesus and your children, uh, or bearing of children has replaced Jesus? And he heard this and said, my dear, don't listen to him. You automatically have salvation. Just as soon as I brought doubt that what you're saying doesn't make any sense, they didn't like that. We need to understand these things. What is the righteousness that is in man? The righteousness is the commandment of God. Where are you stretching your hands? To the word of God or to other things? My hands also I will lift up to, to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have, have me in great duration, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord, and have com comforted myself." Psalm 119, 48-52, as soon as I said these words, and this religious monster, all, all of these, all the people went against me, turned against me, but I stood strong, because I stretch out my hands to the commandments of the Lord, I don't, I did not bend away from the law, and it was important to me what the Lord thought of me, and not what they, they thought of me, yes, I cared for those members, this was my cradle this is where I grew up and it was very difficult for me to break I did not break a relationship with them and I thought that they'd rejoice when they hear the truth but they hated the truth and cast it aside a person meditating and thinking about the worldly uh, bliss and blessing and trying to make himself a name by doing kind works of so-called evangelism is a person who is unclean with evil intentions that come from his flesh when David says I will stretch out my hands to your commandments which I love and meditate about your statutes that meant that in his heart he has the thummim that is the commandments of the Lord but when he says this is my com a comfort for me then this talked about the fact that in the meditation of his command of these commandments David is coming from the revelation of the Urim 
which came, our revelations of the Holy Spirit. Meditation of the righteous come from the revelation of the Urim, that is, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And everything else that comes from the flesh, anything that may seem even wise or kind or good, is seen in Scripture as evil. When a person follows the religious, uh, religious inspirations of the flesh, uh, then this is still seen as evil in the eyes of God. And so righteousness that abides within the heart in the two broken tablets is called to identify this person and the fact of what he meditates upon. Evil thoughts of the inten and intentions of the evil are identified as a person meditating not about God but about himself and independent from what is in the grace of God, he thinks of himself instead. What he has done, how much he has given, and how, what kind of good he does, what kind of service, how, he, how much he prays, and how he prays. Considering that our time is up, we will bend our knees and pray, and all those who desire to again and again separate from your old corrupt man, separate from your nation, from your house, to allow grace, the opportunity to reign within your heart through the righteousness which you've received in the two broken tablets, the death of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in this place to open up for you a new door open for you a new path, a new way, give you new strength, send healing, and give it to you in your spirit so that you take the seed of healing and grow this fruit of healing. Amen. Let us pray. The Holy Spirit is here and we wait for you. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He is not against you. All the words that you hear, they are sent by God not to uh, belittle you or somehow f make you feel bad to take you out, but to take you out of the dirt and to take you out of this feelings of complexity, but to receive the Spirit who lives forever. Close your eyes, lift your hands to the Lord, a sign that you're ready to receive from God what He desires to give you. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sin, with my dependence, with my shame, with my fear, with my pain. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, protect me. I accept your words, your healing, your Holy Spirit into my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. 
And now all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.